This is from Matthew 2. I'm going to bet that most of y'all probably have heard this a lot. But I'd ask you to listen again. Um, This is the key, one of the keys to our faith. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, departed to Egypt, and remained where, there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region, who were two years old or under, according to the time, that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. The return to Nazareth. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And then he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, <clears throat> we are doing Christ Central Church light today, as an L-I-T-E, um, diet Christ Central Church this morning. Um, 
A lot of people are traveling, obviously, um, um, this weekend, so keep them in your prayers, going home to see mom and daddy and sister and brother and cousins and everybody else. Um, and uh, we have a smaller band today, two members in our band, but they held it down. It was nice. It was really nice this morning um, to be Christ, diet, Christ Central Church light. Um, re- really nice. Um, this morning, I want to take you beyond the scene at the manger. Behind the Christmas nativity set and its chair, and back to a time and scene of discouraging darkness, uncertainty, and deafening silence. When Christ was born, the Romans were in full control of the kingdom of Israel and had put over them what were often tyrannical and greedy kings who had an appetite for power and control. At this time in the history of Israel, God seemed to have gone out of business or was in the business of being silent and mean. His people and the world around them lived in a world of chants and maybes and and legends of a coming king, not the assurance of a people who knew their Redeemer lived. Their world, like ours, was wild. Wild, that is, like a vast and empty Wilderness, wild like a desert with no produce, wild like a jungle filled with the uncertainty of untamed and untempered predators, but unto us and them for our good. A child was born. A child, ironically, born to be wild. I've recently been reintroduced as many of you, to the Lord of the Rings stories. I can't believe it's been nine years since the last one in that first trilogy. Nine years. Yeah, I'm getting old. And we took our boys to see The Hobbit. I'm not going to say anything about it. I know some of y'all hadn't seen it. Don't want to spoil it for you. But at the center of these movies, they focus on kings. And this time in The Hobbit, the dwarf king. Kings and kingdoms. The themes, those are the themes that surface, and, and the, they were all familiar. First, there was and would be impending darkness and death without a king. That the kingdom and the lies in it yearned for freedom but feared a world of anarchy. That those living in the kingdom were desperate, wanting and waiting against all hope for a rescuer, a ruler, a redeemer. And in all those stories, what happened? Out of obscurity, against all odds, uphill in the rain, outnumbered, the king rises. And what happens? The people and the animals and the kingdom itself gets freedom and restoration and redemption. You know why we like these stories so much and the themes keep reappearing? Because they so accurately depict the human dilemma that we are in, that we are doomed without some kind of extreme and even royal help. Well, here we we are in the 21st century, in the real world. No scripts, no actors, or special effects. And we are suspect of the darkness. 
curious of what will happen, happen in our lives and in our families, assuring ourselves with, with temporary flashes of hope rising and falling with community and city and, 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 and living and dying with our human superstars, winning and losing depending on the circumstances. A wild, wild world with no certainties. Where you wake up one morning and everything you thought was right has gone wrong. Where you thought 2013, is, 2012 was going to be different than 2011. And here we are at the end of this year and you're wondering, what happened? And for some of us, no champions. No heroes for our cause. I have good news. In Christ... Unto us is a king is born, born to the wildness of our circumstances. Look at the circumstances and situations of his coming, coming in the story. They should be very familiar, familiar to us. He was born from the wild. He was born from a forgotten people and a forgotten promise. The Bible tells us in the story that the Magi came following a star and probably going off what they read. Now, something I was studying about the Magi, they weren't Christians. They weren't Jews. They were well-read Bohemian scholars. And so they probably were familiar with some of the, the scriptures of the Old Testament I mean, that, that talked about a coming king, and, and it kind of matched up with their own um, astrology, if you will. And God used them to bring something along that needed to happen in the history of Christ's coming. So they were familiar of this, and they, they came asking of people who were not looking and expecting, obviously. Look with me at verse 3. Well, let's say verse 2. Say, this is the wise men coming from, from the east saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And the scripture says, And all Jerusalem with him. Now, Jerusalem. These are Jews. These are the people of promise, the people of God for whom it's been so long and so hard that the king of the Jews' talk would make life uncomfortable for them with Herod as a self-proclaimed king of the Jews. They feel as Jews God has forgotten. So they have forgotten themselves what it means to be a people whom God has made a promise to. We live in a world where it's easy to feel forgotten forgotten by others and by God, and to see his response or promises in the Bible as a legend, as a feel-good anecdote, or worse, just, just not true for us, because it, it seems that Jesus and God and all those Bible stuff, you know, I think about the Bible sometimes, the way we see it, we don't see it as just ancient or classic, we just see it as plain old, tired, and worn out for the world we live in today. I mean, things are so evil. And it seems as though the present circumstances uh, we live in spiritually, civically, and socially rule the day. Th things have not changed in years for some of us. And things that we're struggling with. And, and it just seems foolish to believe that from these stories, somehow they will. Not just foolish, but, but with your families and friends and, and people who we consider reasonable just trouble for believers if, if, if you believers really act like you believe this Jesus stuff is true. Trust me, alienation and social isolation and, 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 and social death is a troubling reality.
reality for you. And there's just no remembrance. There's just no thought. There's just no hope about the promises and person of God to overcome that fear. And, it, and, and so it is easier to live as sub-Christians. You know, as a people with a heritage of God stuff, a, a background of Jesus, but not a present life of faith in Christ. We, like the Jews, many believers are, are afraid of our belief. We're afraid of our faith. It is trouble for us, and it troubles us in this world. Just the other day, Kelly and I went out celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary. Yeah? Don't clap for us. Clap for Jesus. Definitely don't clap for me. I'm just riding the train Jesus taking us on. We're sitting there and, you know, some of these restaurants are kind of on the couch and then a couple more seats. They seat another couple kind of there. And we were looking at them, hey, you know, they look kind of cool. You know, like, talk to them. I don't know why I thought that. Maybe because the guy had double earrings or something. It just felt right. I don't know. And we were sitting there and he was like, I do this and I do this kind of work. And I'm like, oh, crud. He's going to ask me what I do. I just want to eat my meat, talk, but Jesus has to mess it up. What it, what, and, and, and I was so withdrawn. I think he could tell because he had to ask Kelly. So what work is he in? And I'm like, looking like I'm too busy with my beans. You know, like, I can't, I can't hear him because I'm troubled by this king of the Jews born to save my life and possibly his life in the world. I've forgotten. I don't remember. It's easy to forget that kind of, of thing. Like, like maybe Jesus is the most important thing that ever happened to humanity. Not when I'm trying to eat my food. I don't want him to know I'm a believer because then he'll act weird and maybe ask me a question. Tell me his story about his faith and how he used to sing in the choir and all this. I didn't want to go through that. I didn't know what we were drinking. Did I have a beer? I, I just didn't want to be like, what's he doing? He ain't saved. I didn't feel like going through none of that. Why is our faith troubling for us? Because Jesus is wild, man. He makes everybody uncomfortable. Because everyone's their own king. Everyone's their own lord. Everyone has their own way of doing things. They don't want their lives to be bothered, especially not bothered by, you know, it's almost like they made a mistake asking me what I do. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Crud. Go on. We wanted to act up a little bit tonight. Now we got to act good. They only know nobody's good but the Lord Jesus Christ, not even me. Maybe I wanted to act bad. The prophecy here in verse 6, what we read in Scripture, should not trouble us with feelings of futility and foolishness. Look at verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
But what this prophet should have told them is that, yes, you and I may have forgotten you and the promises, and they may be troubling, but there is a God who has not forgotten, who along the way has never stopped in bringing his promise to rescue and redeem. Christ was born from a forgotten people and promised as hope for forgotten people and a forgotten promise as a reviver of the hearts of the hopeless. What am I saying? My faith holds me. Jesus came for people like you and me who are troubled by this supernatural God. See, God, by the birth of Jesus, has not forgot you in this world. He has come and will come restoring our hearts and lives with faith and power, and he does not mind taking our troubles and causing trouble for our own good. He will not let the trouble of this world that stop us from testifying about him stop him from loving and caring and coming for us. It is a promise, of, this promise of a Savior that comes into a wild world, a world that is barren and fruitless. Look at the Magi here again at verse 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who, is, who has been born king of the Jews, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They see this star. And I've always explained to you, and, I've, and I did a sermon on this one time before, that, look, man, the wise men were kind of strange. They were kind of strange. All right? They were real bohemians. Okay? They were Boca burger-eating yogurt having, sew your own clothes kind of people. They probably studied the Mayan calendar too. Online, someone's like, roll call, everybody here? <laughs> okay, so the Mayans were wrong, but they would have known about the Mayans too. Jesus was just another stop along the way, especially in an area where if there's a chance that a king's going to be born and take over things, you were wise to make sure your country is politically set with this king. So don't, don't get it confused. They worshipped him, but not as, I mean, they probably believe there are a lot of divine kings or that divine God was on a lot of kings' lives. So we have to be careful what we're reading here. But at the very least, they see it as a ray of hope that just maybe someone special is happening. That could change things. Someone special is being born. As astronomers and well-read men in their desperation, they, re they realize that just maybe this is a sign of the birth of the king of Jews. It is so fruitless in this world. It is so dark that for, for these wise men, it was worth taking a chance, worth following the star and what they read. For if it were true, the world as they knew it would not be the same. Let me explain something to you. Jesus was a mirage to these men who were possibly kings of smaller kingdoms. He was like a hopeful fruit in the desert, a, a, a stream of, 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 to, to get their thirst under control for those who were under the oppression of, uh, and yoke of Rome and some of its evil rulers and practices. So much desperation, so much drought of hope that these non-Jewish wise men yearned for someone worship. I was in the coffee shop across the street. I've been in a lot of kind of things here in Noda. Remember, went to this, they had this prayer thing for something that was happening in the community. I got there, 
They're like, Pastor Brown, we just, we just want you to join in this prayer circle. I'm like, okay. I'm a pastor of the community. I'm going to go to the prayer circle. And they started doing all this stones and all this kind of stuff and doing their hands like this, these images of light. I didn't know what was going on. All I was like, in Jesus' name, you know. That's ecumenical right there. No, no, it wasn't. It was, uh, it was a little more diverse than I expected. And I, I remember going... It was weird. It was not like Presbyterian meeting. So I, I went across the street once, and these, these people were in there, and they're looking at the astronomy books. They were like, man, let me tell you what this means. No one's at the hair place. When I had locks, I used to get my hair done. And they all passing around these astronomy books. You're this, and you're this sign, and this day, this is what this means. And these people were like, yay, like happy over a star that they were looking desperate for hope, for light, for direction, so much so that they trust masses of dust and gases and matter to be the end of their search. That is just the way the stars aligned and their birthday aligned. But being desperate for some higher truth should tell us something. We need and want bigger and better than this world can offer down here. We want something for real. We give so much credit for what the natural world provides us, its beauty, its bounty, our connection to this natural world, the circle of life stuff, our ability to have and make and control stuff, and even our ability to know and comprehend and make personal decisions, its pleasures of this world, and the way it gives us relief. But just like the star that day, those things should point us to more. See, the, the wise men were not looking for the star. They were looking for what the star said. They were looking for the, to, to who the star pointed to. The good news is this is with the Magi. The signs have been confirmed. There is a place to and a person to worship that has been sent for our world, our fruitless and empty world and hearts. The good news that God has met our desperation and desperate tense of being whole with the substance and truth and real divine presence of his son, Jesus. If your spiritual journey and disappointments have led you to hear the truth for the first time or all over again, there is good news. But what God has declared, all stars point to the light of his son, Jesus Christ. It's what I do appreciate about other religions. In the end, pragmatically or theologically, they all point to the need for a redeemer. You know what ends up happening in most religions, though? You end up being a redeemer, right? So here's a religious thought, here's a religious rules, but ultimately it only works if you follow it perfectly, right? Oh, I must have read that wrong. Dog! See, you're the redeemer. You have to read it right. You have to do it right. You have to live it right. All religions say there is a redeemer, even if it's you taking up the rules and making it work. Well, you can't eat this, and you can't do this, and you have to dress this way, and you have to read this every morning, and you have to bow down this many times, this many days. You're the redeemer. But in Christianity, it says there is a redeemer outside of imperfect people, outside of our imperfect attempts to save us, and that is Christ Jesus. Let me give you hope to your spiritual palate. 
God, by his grace, has not left us eating the trunk and bark and branches of life. There is fruit on the branch. There is fruit on the tree. It's Christ. Just go a little further. If your religion stops short of needing Jesus, if your philosophy of thinking stops short of you being this desperate, you know, I'm going to say radical follower of Jesus Christ, keep going. There's fruit on the tree. God's given it to you. Why eat the bark? Why eat the branch? And while these wise men get fruit and resolve to their search, Herod gets fierce and responds with anger. I remember one of my, my professors in seminary on, in a Christmas sermon, he said this, when the light gets brighter, the darkness that remains gets darker. This is exactly what happens in this account. Herod tries to manipulate these wise men into telling him where Jesus is so that he can kill him. And when the Magi escape his plan, his lack of control drives him to fury. And he orders a regional genocide, killing every child of the age of two, hoping to get Jesus in the process. As verse 3 suggests, when Herod gets angry, those around him, in particular those under his authority, are troubled with him. In this, world, in this wild story, Herod is an obvious predator seeking in his strength and authority to control and devour and destroy. And his ruthlessness, as is so often true with tyrants, is the smell of fear and insecurity. He is so afraid of losing his kingdom. He is so afraid of losing his worth and existence that he paralyzes the world for his control with fear. Why? Why is Herod is so insecure, so afraid, so angry? Because in contrast to Christ, the newborn king, he is a leader and king who is ruling and living without promise. He has no assurances. He has no reasons to believe his rule and place and person is secure outside of the strength and control he can exert upon it. And that, as we see, too, is slipping. The Magi get away, and he eventually dies in the face of Christ's birth. And so in his anger, those who are around him and under him become the prey. Manipulated, demeaned, and destroyed for his issues of control and insecurity, Judah become prey, unprotected, no justice, no one to appeal to, no place to hide, no place to run. They are sheep for the slaughter because they have no shepherd, they have no sanctuary. But for these wild times of predator and prey, Jesus was born. Look with me at verse 6 again. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. He'll be a ruler. He's going to deal with the predators. And a shepherd, he's going to care for the prey. We see his rule. He escapes death, death while his enemy dies in the meantime. His rule and power and reign is alive, and Herod dies. We see that he is wild against Herod's attempts to control and destroy him. I went to a Christian conference once, and they revealed that 
you know, they get into the deep stuff about your own emotions and stuff. Oh, man, it was rough for me. And they got into this thing about anger and how angry Christians can be, believers can be, in general, people can be, especially people in positions of authority or people who've risen in their field. Some of us, like Herod, are angry and fierce in task because we are angry and disappointed by our inability to be happy. We feel life slipping away from us. We're, we're angry in our inability to control our world. We've worked so hard. We've sacrificed so much. We've climbed the ladder. We've gotten rid of this person. We've married the right person. We've moved to the right neighborhood. We're in the right schools. And still, we can't be happy. And people get angry. They want control. You know, the hardest thing, I think, is when you've worked so hard, and I think it starts to hit you right around the midlife, when you feel like you've worked so hard, and you get there, and you're still not in control. Life still spins. You've done all you can. You've borrowed a lot of money to go to school. You've sacrificed. You've got the mortgage right. You got the right, the safest car out there. You did everything you thought you could do. You went to all the marriage counseling you could go to. You did everything you thought you could do. And guess what? You still aren't in control. And it makes you angry. Some of you out here, men in particular, are angry. Some of you are controlling and mean to your wives and children. You show no soft spots. You walk around like a chip's on your shoulder. You have a fortress, fortress mentality, emotionally hard-hearted. You charge your head like a steamroller for your purposes and for your security, where you, you leave no room for justice or mercy for any of you. Some of you are haters of Christ in his church here, bucking and sarcastic and, and cynical against all belief. We must question our fierce resolve and anger in controlling our world. What are you afraid of? What are you so insecure about? Afraid that your fierce needs will not be met? Afraid that you're too awful to be loved? Afraid of a world out of control will be crushed? Too scared of being honest about who you are? Too hard to think about anyone else in your failing and following kingdom? For you predators, and that includes me, who are who are predators at life, just angry and fiercely trying to, trying to get life under our control. Let me tell you something. Christ has outwitted and outruled you. He has and will triumph over your anger and its results, over your control driven by fears. Jesus has come and is ruler, even over you and me. And this can be good news as for the wise king ruler men who brought their wealth. They brought the securities of their kingdoms and laid them before Christ, declaring him their king, bowing to him. Good news then for your anger and fierce disappointment with God in this world. Christ calls you to bow to him. Entrust your security to him. Bow and receive the mercy and mission of the ruler king into your lives. Let him break your kingdom and its walls and its tyranny over you and others down that you may live and not die. Need not live in anger and risk spiritual death. Christ can handle the fierce needs of your heart. 
He can handle the awfulness of your heart. He can handle your out-of-control world. He can handle facing the fear of who you are. He can handle the disappointment of where you are right now with everything going on in your life. What's interesting in all of this is that even the predator is prey to his own heart, needing like us a king who can come and shield it against ourselves. You know what I think? I had somebody tell me this. The anger, especially, I mean, that we have created out of disappointment, that hunger that we get angry that we're hungry because uh, it just can't meet the need, whatever we're looking for to be right in our lives, to, to, you know, that we had a vision that it would make us feel this way or, or, or happen this way, and we're disappointed, and it creates an anger and a hunger. You know what someone told me? You're not hungry or angry enough. You know why you're not hungry or angry enough? And it stops at just mistreating people and shutting down your life and being mad and disappointed and pouting and crying and, 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 and having to go to 50 sessions of counseling. Not that counseling's bad. You, you know why? Because you don't think there's one more food out there. You, you don't think there's, there, there's one more thing out there that can actually fill the empty place. Or if it doesn't fill the empty place, that can actually comfort you through your hunger. Be, be more hungry. Be angrier. And come to Christ with the fears and hunger of your heart. Don't stop Everyone in this room has said or thought God doesn't care about the world and me and the evil that keeps us at bay. Is there anyone who will stand up for us in this world? We watch the results of things and think we in our world are prey for accidents and evil hierarchies and social systems and as, and as of late crazed gunmen. We often live and feel like people without a shepherd, without justice, without any help. We become a church and people who can't care for the needs of the community because it's too hard. You know, when you're a pastor of a church and you see the many needs, I, I'm just like, I give up. We're praying. It's over. Too many needs. There's too much brokenness. We freak out when trouble comes or things get hard in our marriages and relationships. We give in to what we don't believe in. We cave in as weak and easy prey. Why? We don't believe verse 6. Think about a marriage stuff. My own marriage. Just like we sat there the other night. You know, there's some happy things. But there's also a lot of disappointing things. You sit there and you wonder, man, year 15, did we think we would be here? I thought I'd be cruising in Jamaica somewhere. I thought I would be, like, still cut and fit and everything. I thought our love would be more profoundly deeper than it is at year 15. My definition of love. I'm angry. I'm disappointed. That's why I should give up. 
If I'm my own shepherd, I should. There is no king, I should. Some of you have issues of desire and lust. Men with sexual addictions in the world of images and easy access. Women with issues of beauty in the world of plastic surgery and dieting and worship of beauty. You just can't get our heart, we just can't get our heart straight. Too many attacks on our humanity. We are easy prey. And our song is the song of Rachel in verse 18. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. That's our song. Many of us. But this is a song of people who believe they experience death without comfort, destruction with no consolation, loss and genocide with no redeemer. Understand this. Verse 6 is the hook. Verse 6 is the hook for the song in verse 18. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rules of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Here is the good news. In the darkness, since Christ came, and what is written in verse 6 of his being a shepherd is true. Though, yes, we are made to feel like prey, the prey of sin and its results to be troubled in our hearts. Now because of him, death has a champion. Pain and suffering is not without purpose. Pain and suffering has a comforter. Now destruction has a restorer and redeemer. Now this wild world has resolution. Because Christ the King has been born. Jesus, he escapes death and pain and, and pain and suffering and pressure do not deter him. Fear does not consume him. Sinful powers cannot overpower him. If we are his, if we are in Christ, we are linked to him and then our hope is linked to the promise that is him. That our hope is linked to the one who is the power and glory and redeemer God. We can live as if the glass is half full or filled. The coming of Christ in a dark world is hope for the rest of the emptiness we experience. So we weep. So, yes, we're disappointed. So yes, we're angry, but we don't weep and we're not angry and we're not disappointed as a people who have no comforting. Our weeping has direction. You can weep toward the king. So we fight. We fight as those who have a redeemer. Our fighting is done as those who have and will win. So we work for redemption of our world as those who have a king and kingdom that is and will and already has come in power and authority. In Christ, we are no longer prey for sin and the world, but become a people of renewed promise and hope. Close with this. I, uh, I think when I wrote this sermon, I really was watching a lot of uh, Man versus Wild. Wrote this Christmas sermon a while ago. Man, I love some Bear grills. Now, forget the thing about him being out of the sheets in his hotel like he was at the tent. Just forget about all that. 
The show's for real, all right? But you know, when you watch that show, you're like, if I'm out there, I can make it. The other day we were talking, boys, we were talking, would you rather, in school they have this thing, would you rather have a flamethrower or a bow and arrow if you're in the wild? And I said a flamethrower. Why? Because you can create a fire and be warm and you can cook your food. And they're like, no, you can make a fire with some wood, just rub the arrow. I'm like, you saw Bear Grizzly. You think it's easy to make a fire with some wood? You know, just, I'm like, Kelly, well, how are you going to make a fire? Rub two sticks together. Okay. I'll take the flamethrower to get my fire. There's plenty to eat out there in the world, right? All kind of berries. She's got to know the right ones. He has a salad he be eating. All kind of bugs. You can live. You know where we have that hope? Because one man went out and beat the wild. And we live in hope. We live believing. Some of us are crazy enough, we starting to go camping now because we saw Bear Grylls do it. Let me tell you something about Bear Grylls. I watched one of the shows that he was cold. Ooh, he was cold. He couldn't get a fire going. He was like, you know, these times, you really got to hold on to your faith. <laughs> if you got a prayer life like I do, you just got to pray. You know, he, he's a believer and all that, so he talked about that. Our Lord has been born into the wild you have experienced and yet to experience. He's gone into the darkness. He's felt and faced your uncertainties. He has handled the predators. And he's freed us to live and walk with hope. When we see what Christ has done, we lift our heads up to the sky. Though weeping, though disappointment, disappointed, though angry, though troubled, though death, our Lord is one. He's come.